What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Score! The Cards win! The Cards win! They walk them off! The Cards win! And they see new life here in Omaha! You're listening to the Third and Central Podcast, powered by the state of Louisville. Now, here's Matt McGavick. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Third and Central Podcast, your only podcast dedicated solely to the Louisville baseball program. Once again, I'm Matt McGavick, Deputy Editor for Louisville Report, joined once again by Matt Tikovic with his new positions, formerly with Rivals, now the baseball contributor over at Card Card Chronicle, excuse me. So before we get into that, congratulations on the new position, man. Happy for you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Matt. Not a problem. So, how have you been recently? I know it's it's only been a week since we last chatted, uh, right before the start of the ACC tournament. But how, how have you been dealing? Man, things have been going well. Um, like I said, I'm over at Card Chronicle now. Excited to get started over there and putting out a lot of more baseball content. Today's kind of a weird day, though. It's opening yep. round of the NCAA tournament, and there's really nothing for us to watch. I mean, baseball fans, there's plenty of baseball out there, but. As far as having anything to be really invested in, it's it's tough today with Louisville not being involved in the tournament this year. Yeah, we were kind of talking right before we started recording, and I was pretty much echoing the same sentiments. I mean, I'm kind of loosely following all the stuff going on with the NCAA tournament since as of this recording, it is Friday, and so it's the first day of regionals, and the road to Omaha is officially back after, what, 700-plus days. And you know, I'm just I'm just not that invested i mean I'm, I'm paying attention to some results i saw that florida got upset by south florida and their regional which i kind of i don't want to say i didn't see coming but i'm not surprised given how they kind of started the season and whatnot but i'm just not as invested i'm really not i should be because i love college baseball i love watching college baseball i love covering it i love paying attention to it and i'm just it's not doing it for me this year and i, I don't want to say it's and I don't want to say it's solely because Louisville's not in the field, but now it's not seeing Louisville in the field, something that we've been accustomed to seeing. I just, I don't have anything else to really like keep track of. Yeah. It just makes it really tough to follow. Kind of like this year, you know, the basketball not being in there. It's almost like I want to see every single upset. Like I want to see every four seed advance, like just, yes. You know, let's just see the wildest tournament we could ever possibly see and see a lot of these lower seeds advance and just see what happens. I know. I love, I want to see pure, unadulterated chaos everywhere i just want to see the home seeds get upset i want to see new jersey institute of technology take down arkansas even though that they got handled pretty mightily by the razorbacks but i digress you know what i mean but i mean obviously it wasn't gonna last long yeah i mean it's it's baseball stranger things have happened but um, anyways like we've uh, insinuated already at this point uh, if you're listening to this, you already probably know that Louisville did not make the NCAA tournament. Uh, heading into uh, the ACC tournament last week, they were they had dropped four of their last uh, what was it, 14 games, I believe. They were hitting on a pretty pretty decent slide. They needed to make some noise down in Charlotte for the ACC baseball tournament, and they they started off on a relatively good note. They 
partook in one of the oddest baseball games I've ever watched. I mean, I, I've seen my fair share of proverbial home run derbies at both the collegiate and uh, professional level, but this this game against Clemson to open up pool play, they, they couldn't stop sending the ball over the fence. It, it was weird. Louisville would do it. Clemson would answer right back. Louisville would do it again. Clemson would answer again right back. Ended up being a 15 to 10 decision in favor of Louisville. Like just the, the, the ball was jumping off of the bat in that game. And I think uh, Metzinger had a pair of dingers. Davis had a pair of dingers, but Nellis had three and Louisville, I believe, excuse me, uh, either set or tied the ACC baseball tournament single game record by a team for the most homers with seven. It was just, it was an entertaining game. That's for sure. It was. And, you know, the first game of the ACC tournament, so it kind of really set the tone, and from there it was all all downhill because there wasn't that much offense the rest of the tournament. But it was kind of neat to see because it was being the first game of the tournament. Twitter was kind of blowing up about Louisville, and I was like, okay, maybe they've got some momentum. Maybe if they just beat Georgia Tech in the next game, they don't necessarily have to win the ACC tournament because they're getting a lot of buzz right now just because their performance in the first game. I was like, maybe just make some noise and see what happens. But then Georgia Tech happened. Yeah, and it, it actually looked like it was starting to continue in those ways against Georgia Tech because in the first, I believe, five innings or so of that game versus Georgia Tech to wrap up pool play in pool B, Louisville had scored a run in each, including two in the first inning, and they they played the first four runs of the game, six of the first – five of the first six or something like that. They went out to a six to three lead in the, bot, in the eighth inning, but then they ended up giving up a three-run home run to send it to extras – they had a go-ahead home run in the 11th by Alex Benellis. Georgia Tech answered that. They had a go-ahead home run in the top of the 12th by Ben Metzinger. And then Georgia Tech answered with a pair of runs, thanks in part to an RBI, either single or double event, single on advance on the throw or a double, coupled with a throwing slash fielding area. It was kind of a weird angle from the TV. Regardless, it was an outfield field, uh, defensive error that allowed Georgia Tech to play at home not only the tying run, but the winning run, sending home Louisville from the ACC baseball tournament after going just one and one in pool play when they needed to go two and zero oh to advance the ACC semis. And I think at that point, Louisville's chances were pretty much just dead in the water at making the NCAA tournament because you and I had discussed on the previous episode that in order to get some consideration for the NCAA tournament, they had to advance out of pool play and. They didn't get it done. So when the NCAA tournament came around and they announced the field of 64 and Louisville, Louisville wasn't announced, I wasn't really shocked. No, I don't think it was surprising. I think after the ACC tournament, their RPI fell into the low 70s. And then as the other conference tournaments progressed and a couple of the lower, the smaller conferences had upsets, you know, Fairfield got beat. So they had a two-bid league. There was a couple, you know, upsets in the other conferences. Yeah, there were a couple stolen bids heading into there. Yeah, and then a lot of them you didn't expect. I mean, you had a Fairfield team that was, I don't know, they were, you know, had only lost what, two games on the year going in the conference tournament. Yep. You really didn't expect them to lose, and they did, so they stole a bid. So you had a couple of the smaller schools take a couple of the bids this year. Not that I think Louisville was deserving of one of them based on their resume, but they're, you know, falling to 74, 75 in the RPI. Right. It just, at the end of the day, they just they just didn't do enough this year to get in. Yeah, all, all the factors that be kind of played against Louisville's favors. Like you said, the RPI was not that good. The road record was not that good. They had the late season slide. Uh, they had stolen bids. I know Ryder stole the bid from Fairfield. Uh, Presbyterian stole the bid in their league. USF stole the bid 
from the American after taking down ECU in the conference after the American was previously just going to be a one-bit league to ECU. So, I mean, there was already a snowball's chance in hell of Louisville making the tournament prior to all these Nolan bids. And that, that just didn't. That's kind of an insult to injury. In fact, I think looking at the final tournament projection heading into Selection Monday on on D1 Baseball's projection, they didn't even have Louisville on the last four out or the next four out. I mean, when when the NCAA themselves announced the field, they didn't even have Louisville on the last four out. So that just kind of shows like what happens to this Louisville baseball team, especially in the last month of the season, to warrant them just, just getting excluded out of the field. And just doubling back to that, Let's let's talk a little bit more about the NCAA tournament exclusion and more so specifically about what went wrong and how they got to this point. And I think you can really like factor it down to to three things. First of all, we'll discuss. I mean, we'll get to the late season slide in a minute, but I think the first thing that made itself apparent, especially in the first about month of the season, was the lack of clutch hitting. There were times in the first, I want to say three to four weeks of the season and kind of spattering throughout the last month where whenever a runner would get on base, whether it be by a base hit or a walk, hit by pitch, whatever, whatever have you, they, the next guy up just could not seem to get the job done and send that guy home. I think Louisville was 18 of 64 or some awful stat with runners in scoring position in the first month of the season. And it led to a few ugly early season losses. Like they weren't able to sweep Western Illinois when they hosted them. They dropped the game down at Eastern Kentucky when they traveled there for the return uh, return game in that home and home series. It started to get better in the middle of the season, but then at times it started to uh, make its appearance in the last week, week or two of the season when the pitching was starting to get a little bit more consistent and a, a little bit better to putting the offense in a position where they can, they can't they can put them in the game. And then speaking of pitching, that was that was bullet number two as to what went wrong with Louisville's season. And it was pitching inconsistencies and more so injuries. Before we get into the inconsistencies part, Louisville's pitching staff was just a wounded duck, a wounded duck the entire season. Like every week it seemed like a new relief arm or a new starter was hurt. I mean, the the Friday night starter to start the season, Glenn Albany's only had what six starts on the season mm-hmm. do, dealing with uh injury and injury in his throwing arm as well as COVID it's it's, it's, it's kind of he kind of got dealt with a really bad injury card hand and then Luke Seed he had to had an early exit in the game against Miami uh Michael Carrion and he didn't get hurt per se but he kind of played into the inconsistencies part where after um after the canceled pit series his next three starts after that they were just awful purely awful and then there were a whole bunch of other arms in the bullpen where i know we, there were a few heading into the season where we knew they weren't going to see uh any time or had would have a very limited role such as uh, ryan hawks carrie wright gavin sullivan all those guys but then that list just continued to add as the season went on and not only did it lead to coach mack and roger williams not really having much to pick from out of the bullpen they could they couldn't nail down their starting rotation both because of injuries and just in general inconsistencies because luke smith didn't have the year that we thought he would have coming back for his his final year with the program michael curian eventually the bottom fell out there as a as a starter but he went back to the the bullpen and found a little um some more success there and if you would have told me luke seed 
uh, would eventually become the number two guy in the rotation, I'd have thought you were crazy because I, I did not see that coming. I thought he would he would eventually crack the rotation towards the end of the season, maybe maybe as the Sunday guy, but I did not see him becoming one of the uh, go-to arms in the starting rotation towards the end of the season. Well, I think the biggest you know inconsistency of the rotation, the prime example, is the ACC tournament. If you look at the two starters that we started down in Charlotte, Caleb Corbett, and Jared Poland, nothing wrong with either of those two. They're both phenomenal pitchers, but neither one of those were starters this year. You know, Poland threw in the Bellarmine game, and he missed most of the season until just a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Corbett, he was the closer for the first couple months of the season until he got hurt, and then they started him in the Clemson game of the ACC tournament. So it just goes to show that we really, at that point in the season, the most two most important games of the year – they still really didn't have the rotation nailed down when we got to the ACC tournament. No, they really didn't. But even even with that game against Clemson, I, I uh, before that game took place, I was talking to you when we saw the lineup and saw that Corbett was going to start. Given the the hand that Louisville was dealt at that point with the starting rotation, I, I didn't think it was that bad of a move because at that point, Louisville had kind of struggled with getting behind early and not putting together the necessary offense to be able to overcome the deficit. So in, they, they needed to start fast, not from a hitting uh, standpoint, from a pitching standpoint, because not only did they not have the starting arms to do it, even the, the guys they were throwing out there seemed to struggle with giving up early leads. And then subsequently, the, subsequently the offense wasn't able to, you know, overcome that. So putting in the closer to start the game out, I, I thought was a good move, but it was indicative to the season that Louisville had because at, at face value, you, you you don't want to have your closer start a do or die postseason game with you with your postseason live on the line. That's that's not exactly the uh, a winning formula. I mean, could it work out? Absolutely. I mean, Louisville ended up winning that game by a sizable amount, but more often than not, if you put your closer out in a do or die postseason game, it's, it's it might good. not work in your favor. But, and, you know, that morning, like I said, Matt and I were texting and we were like, little Corbett, like, what's he doing starting? But then we were like, okay, you know, maybe a little change of pace here. Throw Corbett out there, get three innings. You're not going to get a lot out of him. But, you know, if you get three innings of, you know, one run, no run baseball, that really sets you up, especially with the offense clicking the way they were. But, you know, it worked in the end. But I don't know if it's a recipe we want to use going forward. I mean, they, they had to do what they had to do, and I'm, I'm not going to fault either Coach Mack or Roger Williams no. for doing what they did because at the end of the day, they both of those guys know a lot more about baseball than either of us, that's for sure. It, it, it just It's unfortunate that it, it turned out that way, but, you know, it is what it is. And plus, honestly, the main reason, the, the third bullet point getting to what went wrong with this Louisville team and arguably the main reason as to why they got excluded was that, Awful, awful, awful late season stretch where they went five and 11 in the final month of the season, both including the end of the regular season and the ACC tournament. And it it seemed because leading up to that point, Louisville had their deficiencies like they struggled at times with clutch hitting and then they struggled at times with getting some consistency out of the pitching arms that were healthy and Heading heading into the pits, uh, the pits series, it seems like they were starting to correct a little bit of both, or at least starting to generate momentum to where they can maybe take advantage of that and finish the season strong. Well, then the pits series ended up getting canceled because of COVID issues on the Panthers' behalf, and then Louisville was never the same. Pitt was never the same after that. Pitt 
did Pitt make the Pitt didn't make the field. No, Pitt did not make the field. No, Neither not. Louisville or Pitt made the field. And Pitt at some point, they were in talks of potentially hosting a regional. They were announced as one of the top 20 hosts when they released the 20 sites a couple weeks ago. They yeah, so a potential host to not making the tournament at all. Yeah, so as bad of a collapse that Louisville had, Pitt arguably had one that was even worse. Right. And and so at that point, uh, the first series that came back was the Clemson at Clemson, where they had played for the first time in 10 days. Coach Mack already said that being off for that amount of time probably played a, a role in that series. Not to take any away from anything away from Clemson, because at the end of the day, they did what they needed to do to win. So credit to them. But he he did admit that having that long time off uh, kind of played a, played a role in that series and the way it turned out, and they were swept. And then he said that beyond that, it was just everything, all the in-house deficiencies. But I think at that point, after you go on the road and get swept to a Clemson team that was very much squarely on the bubble, I think heading into that series, they were either at 500, a couple games below, or a couple games above 500. They were, they were around that line. And then once they got swept at Clemson, everything just kind of snowballed from there. Everything just got worse and worse and worse. And they just, they absolutely could not write the ship. Uh, and all, all of their issues kind of came out at once. Hi, Maynard. But, uh, but anyways, the lack of clutch hitting came back. The pitching inconsistencies came back. Some of the pitching staff got re-injured or new arms were injured. So everything that had happened to Louisville up to that point, things that had happened just one thing at a time, all of those things, all those things came back in full force and all of that contributed to Louisville's just abysmal slide down the stretch. Now the pitching did start to get a little bit better in the, in the series against Miami and, and in that uh, game against USC upstate. But at that point, the, the hitting was just ice cold. I mean, they, they got, they got shut out twice in five games. And prior to that, Mac had never been shut out in, in a ACC play. I believe I, I might have that stat incorrect, but it, it was something to that effect, but did it just, emphasizes how poorly Louisville's bats performed in the final couple weeks of the regular season when the pitching was starting to get a little bit better. Yeah, it seemed like the pitching was, you know, kind of on the up. You know, the Miami series, they gave up six, two, and three runs. North Carolina, you know, two of those games, they gave up five and five. You know, Duke, they really didn't give up a ton of runs either. So the pitching seemed to be like it, you know, seemed like it was turning the course um, at the end of the season. But then the bats just leveled off, which uh, I think that's the most frustrating thing to me because this team, they had the talent. You know, the big names are there. They just couldn't get on the same page with the offense and the pitching at the same time. Yeah, it was disappointing because especially on a talent-laden roster like Louisville's, I mean, the conversation heading into the season was this was arguably the deepest position group of players that Louisville has ever had. And a large portion of the guys just had – kind of disappointing I don't want to say completely disappointing seasons but they they did not come close to living up to expectations uh, sans a few players like uh, Henry Davis like Alex Pinellas even though he had an awful start to the season and I think a part of that and coach McDonald kind of insinuated this in his end of season press conference was that player development was severely impacted by the uh, shortened 2020 season and the kind of odd off season that came after it 
because like he's used to the quote unquote craziness of the offseason where as soon as regionals start up, you're starting to plan for what the offseason plans are for your guys, whether they're going to go to summer ball, offseason workouts, uh, starting to get into preliminary roster management, you know, stuff like that. And then the, this, the rug was pulled out from under him in March. So the, the, the normal development and offseason calendar was thrown completely out the window. And it, it's, he, it seems like several guys on this roster were severely impacted by that and didn't have the necessary offseason that they needed. And great example of this was Benellis because it seems like, and this was purely from an injury standpoint, but because it, it seems like that he, I uh, believe at one point he even said that that handmade bone injured, like just that he injured, it healed, it 100% healed, but it still bothered him all the way up to, you know, the preseason. And at that point, it was just a mental thing getting over, just getting back in the swing of things. So, and that's, that's just one example of many as, as to a lot of players' growths were stunted heading into the season. And now in the same breath, McDonald didn't want to use that an excuse because, you know, everyone had to endure this, not just Louisville. Well, I think, uh, you know, biggest thing, a lot of these guys, instead of, you know, going to play summer ball or hanging around Louisville, whatever they're had plans on doing for the summer, they, you know, were sent home. So they had to find facilities, you know, whether it be their high school or working out at home. So they had to kind of do it on their own. They didn't have the coaches that they're used to having. They just had to kind of have the want to to do it and, you know, get out of bed and do it themselves and not have somebody, you know, coaching them and tell them to go do it every single day. So, you know, I think some of it was on the players. Um, If they just didn't want to do it, you know, it's, it's easy when you're not under your coach's wings all the time it's maybe easy to get lazy and not go do a workout here not go do a workout there so not saying that they are but if you're not um with your coaches 24 7 like you are here it's not going to be the same it's not the same you're not going to get the same workout you're not going to reach the full potential i'm not saying all of them that way but i've been an athlete before well, you're more athletic than I am. That's for sure. I wouldn't go that far. But um, at the end of the day, it, it was this. This part was at least kind of refreshing because during his end of season press conference, uh, obviously Dan McDonald's not the one stepping in the box, taking taking his hacks. Dan McDonald's not the one stepping on the mound, throwing to all these batters and whatnot. But he took complete and unadulterated responsibility for everything that happened. His exact quote was uh, he, I just got out of the players meeting and I told them I'm responsible. I hold myself accountable for this and where we're at and how we played. And so I have to look in the mirror first and I have to do my checks and balances. That, that sort of honesty is refreshing. Not to say that all coaches are not like that. And just want to like blame the players and not take some sort of responsibility because, you know, most coaches that are thrust into the, into this point or this situation they, they do take some responsibility, but it, it was refreshing just to see Dan McDonald. While he did admit that some that the season was disappointing and some guys didn't live up to their potential, the, the buck stopped him. The buck stopped with him, and it was refreshing to hear that. No, I agree with you 100%. You know, and I, when he gets up there behind the microphone, listen to him on Monday, it wasn't just coach speak. You could tell that he meant it, and he takes full responsibility for this season. And he's going to do whatever he needs to do to fix it. You know, we got to get some guys out of here, bring some new guys in. He talked about the recruiting class that's coming in next year a little bit. You know, whatever he's got to do to take care of it, he's the man in charge. He's hired to run this program the right way, and he holds himself to higher standard. And he said he's going to get there next year. And I think based on his track record, we have to believe the guy. 
Oh yeah, he, at the end of that press conference, he sounded extremely motivated. The, the last thing he said before he got off, like after the press conference had quote unquote technically ended, he, he said that he was talking to Brian Vamos, one of the marketing guys, and he said, "Oh, it's on. You better you better pencil in your schedule for the spring because we'll keep you busy." Yeah, I think I believe that was his exact quote. Also, I know also coupled with the fact that we might not be perfect. We'll have some hiccups, but we'll keep you busy. And mm-hmm. I love that. that. That gets me excited for Louisville baseball, even though we're not going to see it for another nine months. <laughs> it's going to be a long offseason, my friend. And, and speaking of the offseason, what's next? Like, what, what do we have? What we, what does the Louisville baseball program have planned up next? Well, we'll tell you. So the fir- the first thing that's kind of on the plate for the coaching staff it's kind of figuring out what exactly – well, actually, let me backtrack. First of all, it's figuring out who's actually going to be coming back, who's going to be potentially uh, signing on for the MLB draft if they do get picked, uh, who could potentially be entering the transfer portal due to any number of reasons, and the incoming recruiting class and figuring out who's actually going to make their roster once they get onto the fall and when it comes time to you know trimming down the roster by the time the – 2022 gets around here that's the first and foremost part i believe uh mac uh mcdonald already knows like a handful of guys that he knows for sure are going to be gone and a, and a few others that he's pretty certain but we'll get into that point in a little bit but then after that it's kind of figuring out what with the players who are returning what the plan of action over the offseason is and what their development you know schedule is whether that's going to summer in summer ball be it the Cape Cod League, Northwoods League, all those other various uh, summer leagues, whether it be wooden bat, metal bat, you name it. Or if, like he said in his press conference, if it's just hanging around Louisville for a little bit longer and just working on their physicality or working on getting stronger, working on getting faster, working on getting more athletic. He said that each player, he had end of season meetings uh, with each player and he gave notes to each and every single one told them what they needed to improve on, whether that's get faster, develop a better breaking ball, get better with contact hitting, power hitting, develop better plate dif- uh, discipline, have a better approach to play, yada, 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 any sort of number of things. And then from that point, they kind of figure out how they can best kind of achieve their goals. And like I said, whether it be summer ball, whether they're being staying around and like physically training and whatnot. And so we haven't seen the official list of players that will be going to summer ball yet. But I've I've got an inkling that a large amount of players will be heading to summer uh, summer ball and may, maybe have a few a few guys here and there kind of stay behind and kind of physically train and whatnot. But based on what I saw this past season, I think a, a lot of the guys on the roster probably could benefit from having some extra some extra reps against some new faces. No, I agree with you 100 percent, Matt, and I think. I've already seen on Twitter a couple of guys are already playing some ball. Yes, yeah, so some signees and some of the younger guys are already playing in some of these leagues. And I think I saw it was JT Benson the other day was already playing. And, you know, it's I think I saw that on Wednesday or Thursday. So it was just a couple of days after the uh, end of the year meetings uh, ended, they were already playing summer ball. So I think we'll start seeing those guys come out pretty quick. And I, uh, I agree with you. We're going to see most of this team, I think, playing summer ball. I don't think we'll see many of them hang around. We'll get into it a little bit more, but most of this team is probably going to move on. A lot of the older guys, a lot of them are draft eligible. So we're going to have a lot of younger guys on the squad next year that may not have had as many at-bats or reps in the field. So I think he's going to try to get them out on the field playing summer ball as much as they can, just so when they come back in the fall, they've had as much experience 
you know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. McDonald insinuated that he is going to have a very young team next year and then kind of doing a little bit more research as to who could potentially, you know, get slates in the MLB draft, like who's eligible, who's got a good shot of being called, who's coming on, the amount of people coming on. He he, he wasn't joking because uh, let's talk about the MLB draft for a little bit. Because that's coming next month. I believe it's mid-July. I don't have the exact dates in front of me, but it's coming up soon. And there's a lot of players that we know for sure are going to be going. I mean, obviously, the conversation starts with Henry Davis, the catcher. Uh, there's There there was a little bit of chatter that he could potentially go number one overall when uh, both uh, Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, the pitchers down at Vanderbilt, were kind of having a midseason slump. But I think he's kind of fallen down into that three to four to five to six range because those guys have come back with a vengeance and a couple other prospects around the nation have kind of entered that name to that top five mix. He'll see, he'll still be the number one guy taken off the board for a little bit. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's going to happen. It's just a matter of like when he gets picked in the top 10, because he's going bare minimum top 10, maybe top five. I, I think going top two is kind of out the window at this point, not because of anything that he did. Uh, Alex Benellis is another guy who's going to be going. Yeah. He had a slow start to the season, but Whenever he turned a corner, he turned that corner hard because he he started just drilling the ball out of this field. I think he he led the team in RBI. He led the team or was second in the team in home runs. He had an amazing slugging percentage of uh, 621, which is you know pretty good. He had 121 total bases, which was second only to Henry Davis by only one base. So I'm thinking he's probably going to be in the top five rounds, maybe even a few rounds after that because it's just – the the power the power in his bat is one of the top in the class. It's it's nearly unmatched the amount of pop that he's got. So he he looks to have his name called early. Lucas Dunn is another guy who could potentially uh, hear his name called early because uh, he he put on showcase his versatility this season. We already knew that he was a solid leadoff man at the plate who can hit for contact really well, can drive in runs for and set the uh, for the runs that are set the table in front of him. But he also showcased his defensive versatility. The this year because the narrative heading into the season was that he was going to play a lot more shortstop to appease the scouts. And while he kind of played there to start the season a a little bit, he was eventually moved to third and then Benelis was moved to first and Lucas by all, for all accounts seemed like he performed very, very well there. So now that that's just an additional position that he can play under his belt he can play third he can play short he can play second he can play center field and i'm sure if he really really needed to he could probably learn to play any of the corner infield uh, outfield positions so the defensive versatility that this man has on top of the fact that he's got a good contact back he, he should hear his name called early uh, michael kieran he's probably going to get called too just because of his repertoire as a closer yeah he he didn't have the season he anticipated down the stretch as as a um, as a starter but i think given what everyone knows about his status as closer and his electric stuff and his ability to kind of close the doors pe- people people will know about that and of course he might not be as highly as highly regarded as he was heading into this season but he still should hear his name called. A couple other guys should be Cooper Bowman, Glenn Albanese, Elliot and Smith, the two, the two uh, last lone seniors on the team. They should hear their name called towards the tail end of the draft, which I believe this year lasts 20 rounds, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the agreement they set last year. Was that? That sounds right. I think that's correct. Gosh, I know it's not 40. It's I know it's not what it normally is. I think I think it's 20 because the – 
MLB is still kind of reeling from the financial ramifications of COVID from last year. So I think they're still going with a 20 round draft this year. I'd have to double check on that. And then um, out of those lots, that's, that's already a lot of people that we know for a fact are going to get selected or at least are moving on. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 guys right there. And then you've got a couple other guys that are kind of on the fence who could see their name called depending on fit. And well, if an organization likes him or not, he got, Jack Perkins, who struggled a little bit, but he's still got some good stuff. Jared Poland is a great two-way guy. He didn't really get that much playing time this season due to injury, but we know what he can do. Carter Lomans, he looked really good towards the end of the season. Cam Masterman had a hot start to the season. He kind of tapered off towards a little bit. Trey Leonard, he's got an overall solid body of work. It's just a matter of if the scouts like it or not. Levi Usher, we know his speed, but it's just a matter of getting on base. But those are another one, two, three, four, five, six guys who could hear the name call on top of the 10 guys who we know for a fact are probably moving are, are moving on. So that's 16 upperclassmen and guys that were that are heading on to the next level. So Louisville's going to have a young team. I guess the getting what I'm trying to get at here is because of the MLB draft, Louisville is confirmed to have a young team next year. There's no there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I think as Louisville fans you know, next year, there's going to be a lot of new faces out on that baseball field that we're probably not used to seeing. And, you know, good thing is the coaching staff have recruited well. We saw a couple of freshmen that got some playing time this year, and Napchick at short, and Jack Payton had got some reps behind the plate. But other than that, we really didn't see many freshmen getting a whole lot of playing time in that bats this year. So it's going to be a whole new roster next year. Like I said, McDonald's got his work cut out for him this summer, getting these guys ready for fall ball next year. But I think uh, we've got the right guy at the helm to do it. But we're we're just going to have a lot of new faces. Absolutely. And, and plus, it'd be one thing if they were bringing in a bunch of young guys who maybe were not all that highly touted or maybe weren't bringing in a, a ton of guys who were who were highly touted. Well, that's not the case here because uh, Coach Mack is bringing in the number seven recruiting class in the nation, according to Perfect Game, and he's bringing in 19 total commits. Out of those 19, 12 are in the top 500, and six are in the top 250. Uh, the kind of the headliners of that class are two guys who actually play in their own backyard. Uh, Trinity outfielder Dalen Lyle and then Ballard. Ballard, I probably have that school wrong, but right-handed pitcher Will Coger, who – and. Yeah. I'm, I don't know why I said about it. It was, it was a B. That's what it was. That's right. Yeah, it worked. Uh, uh, Lyle is the number 43 overall uh, prospect in the class. Coger is the number 103 prospect in the class. There's also a solid shortstop from Illinois, Noah Smith. He's the number 122 in the class. Now, those three guys right there especially, they very well, you know, might not make it to Louisville just simply because they might get drafted. I know, I know for a fact that Lyle – I mean, he he's a highly recruited, uh, regarded guy. He he could be a, a solid collegiate player, but I'm just telling you, I'm telling Louisville fans now, uh, don't anticipate him coming because I I could see him getting selected in the first three five rounds because he's that good. He's tearing it up at Trinity right now. I don't see him wearing a Louisville jersey next year. I just don't think it's going to happen. Love to see it. Uh, I I think he's going to have his name called way too early. Oh, yeah, I'd love to see it just like I would have loved to see Joe Adele and Jared Kelnick suit up for Louisville, <laughs> especially considering what they're doing right now. Joe Adele is already a, a rising up-and-comer in the Angels system, and Kelnick made his debut with the Mariners this year. And considering, I think, 
those guys would be juniors or seniors this year, and they're already in the majors. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what they would have done in college? I think the most surprising thing to me about Coach Mack when he was talking on Monday about the season is how he's really not interested in hitting the transfer portal. And he knows it's going to be, you know, probably bigger than it's ever been before. But he said, you know, his coaching staff has recruited the way they want to recruit and they know the guys they've got coming in. They're sticking with the guys that are on the roster and they're going to stick with the recruiting class they've got. And, you know, if something comes up, he said he's not opposed to it, but it's not like they're going to be actively out there looking in the transfer portal. Right. I believe his his exact phrasing would be uh, he'd be a fool to not kind of explore the, his option because at the at the end of the day, it's a tool for the coach's disposal and program's disposal. And it's for their it's for their benefit. But his 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 bread and butter has been on the recruiting trail. Mm-hmm. Coach Mack has been an outstanding, not only an outstanding recruiter in his tenure at Louisville, he's been an outstanding player, outstanding player developer. So obviously his uh He's going to want to focus on that end, but that's not to say he could probably not get a solid bat out of the transfer bat or a solid arm out of the transfer portal. I mean, they've they've done relatively well over the past you know couple seasons, particularly on the pitching side of things. I know Smith didn't have the season that he wanted this year, but during 2019, he he was part of the reason that Louisville got to as the as far as they did in the postseason, and he was the reason Louisville was even even lasted as long as they did in that college world series game against Vanderbilt. And then Luke seed, we saw what he did this season. He ended up being uh, one of the top starters in the rotation and he, and he looks good doing it too. So I think uh, McDonald will get at least one or two guys out of the transfer portal. I think so too. If, if that much, but, but that's it. That's, that's, that's not what he focuses on. And I don't blame him there because he, he loves to recruit. He loves to build those other relationships and he loves to develop the players and he, he's proven in doing that, too. So I think he's going to focus on that. But like I said, I think they're going to keep bringing at least one or two guys that we weren't we haven't seen yet. But that's just me. No, I definitely think we're going to see somebody come in. I mean, even on the offensive side, look at, you know, Luke Brown, Levi Usher. You know, we've had a couple of offensive players that have come in that started and had a big impact. May not have the quite year we thought they were going to have based on last year. But, you know, when we've got a, such a young team, it's nice to have those options, guys that have had more experience at this level. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting next few months, um, guys that are leaving Louisville and then potential transfers coming into Louisville too. And, of course, the transfer portal is twofold. Uh, we saw, I think it was earlier this week, that uh, Kellen Tulio, the right-handed pitcher, already entered the transfer portal, which, you know, that those things are going to happen. I know before we started recording this episode, I lamented about how I missed Andrew Benefield and the bat that he brought. He's already – doing great things for Dallas Baptist. I think I think right before uh, we start, we pressed uh, record on this episode, you told me that he'd hit a homer in their regional game. So, I mean, Louisville could certainly use that right about now. But Louisville, that's just a testament about how deep they've been. A guy like Benefield who, I mean, if you talk, if you ask anyone who knows me about in baseball and recruiting and whatnot, I had a man crush on him because he, he, he had – oodles and oodles of potential he was killing it in the summer league and i just couldn't could wait until he became a regular starter and then he just got buried on the jump chart and that's that's just what it's been like at louisville they've got so much talent that it's kind of hard to like stand out as a starter it has and you know sometimes you have to come here and you know kind of wait your turn and then you wait your turn and then you you know something still happens some you know a player stays an extra year because of an injury so you you waited for a couple years to have your opportunity and then it's gone. And that kind of similar thing happened to Benefield. You know, he thought he may have a shot at 
one of the infield positions this year. And then you have Bowman that transfers in. And then, you know, you've got Dunn that moves over in the infield. So there's just, there's so many players. This team is so deep. That's the way McDonald has built this roster that, you know, the at-bats are kind of limited. So, you know, I don't blame Benefield one bit for leaving. Definitely love the guy when he was here. Wish we still had him, obviously. Mm -hmm. But it, I think it was a better for him. It was a good decision for him to go play baseball. Yeah, it was absolutely a good decision for him. Wish him well. I miss him. But anyways, kind of put, to kind of put a bow tie on this episode, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention the LSU thing. So we're going to talk about that. So obviously most Louisville fans are kind of used to the fact that when you have a coach as high caliber as McDonald, whenever coaching vacancies arrive at other programs, people, those programs are going to want to inquire about McDonald and potential of potentially bringing him onto their program. Well, this year it was LSU. Uh, I had a source uh, actually let me preface this by saying I heard a rumor that LSU was potentially interested in interviewing McDonald or interviewing him as a candidate and what have you. So I went digging a little bit and I ended up uh, having a source close to the LSU athletic department tell me that McDonald at that time was indeed on their short list of candidates. I think he said his exact quote was that there were four or five on a list that included some pretty high profile names like Vanderbilt's Tim Corbin, uh, Florida's Kevin O'Sullivan and Tennessee's Tony Vitello, which the latter is probably not going to happen because Vitello is working. I read earlier today that he's working on a extended contract with Tennessee. So that's probably not going to happen, but I was told that there is interest on LSU's behalf about potentially interviewing him. So I put that out there. And then, of course, speculation goes awry. And I ended up asking uh, McDonald in the end-of-season press conference, hey, have you had contact with LSU? I didn't ask him if he had any interest because I I didn't think he had much interest because it seemed like he's pretty happy at Louisville, or at least at face value. And so I just simply asked if he had any contact. And he straight up said no. So – I think we can kind of put to bed uh, though that speculation there because it seems like from what I read earlier today that LSU is starting to kind of hone in on O'Sullivan down at Florida. But um, I love what Mac had to say when I asked him about the LSU job because he then uh, added with how he thinks that Louisville is a destination job. And while it is flattering to hear from all these programs and know that you're wanted nationally by all these guys, that it's kind of a slap in the face to what Louisville – is building here here's his exact quote it's twofold it's a compliment it's flattering to be mentioned by some of the prestigious programs out there i think the flip the flip side is sometimes it's a slap in the face of the program that we're at we'd like to think louisville is a destination spot now there's always going to be a handful of programs where i think they have the potential to sway mcdonald's thinking lsu was one of them i know mississippi state was one of them Ole miss is certainly one of them but to hear that from him, that only cements my belief that I think McDonald's in it for the long haul at Louisville. Yeah, man, that's something you and I have been talking about for some time now. And I think he's here for the long haul. I don't think he's going anywhere. You know, the conversations he had with Mississippi State a couple of years ago, if, if they can't draw you down there from, from Louisville to Mississippi State, I don't know who can. But I, I think it's going to be a long summer because if the LSU, LSU rumors aren't going anywhere – and the only time they're going away is when they hire somebody other than Coach McDonald. But yep. like you said they've they've kind of narrowed in on O'Sullivan down at Florida. So guess what? McDonald's going to be rumored to go to Florida. <laughs> yep, the train it, continues. It, it's just going to be a snowball every time. You know, because they're if they're going to hire a prestigious coach like they say they are, 
you know, the LSU athletic department came out and said per Kendall Rogers of D1 baseball that they're willing to spend 1.6 to 1.9 million on a baseball coach, which is unheard of right now. Yeah. That, that would heads and shoulders make him the highest paid college baseball coach. In the oh, country. no doubt about it. So if, if they pay that kind of money and get O'Sullivan, you know, they're going to get a prestigious coach, then we're going to hear McDonald's name rumored to Florida here in just a couple of weeks. It's, it's just a matter of time. And depending on where Florida's replacement comes from, say it comes from Oregon State, right? Who's to say his name doesn't come up there. I mean, it, it's a rotating door. It, it seems like, you know, this is the uh, summer tradition. We go through this every single year at Louisville. You know, obviously last year we didn't have to because of COVID, but it seems like every year other than that, we've, we've listened to another school wanting to hire McDonald, which is a testament to what he's done here at Louisville. It absolutely you know, is. You got to be thankful because if, if you know, there, if nobody wants to talk to our coach, then probably not doing enough, not, exactly. not winning enough games if nobody wants to come knock on his door. Yeah, at the, at the end of the day, I'd rather have programs interested in McDonald than not because it, it that, that just shows you that he's doing something right because if they want what we want, they're, 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 they're doing something, they're going in the right direction. Right. And I, I think, you know, if you're Vince Tyree right now, I think you really do have to have a short list, though, just in case. Just in I don't case. think McDonald's going anywhere, but you, you do have to have a short list just in case. So I'm sure Tyree does. I mean, all athletic directors do for all sports at all times because they never know what's going to happen. But right. They have to know. have contingency plans. And you and I have talked about potential replacements, which, oh, we're not going to get into that. Well, we're not going to fuel know, speculation because we don't need to until he right. until it's confirmed that he's gone. We don't need to get into that list. But you and I have had this conversation before just in case this thing happens. And we do have like a, a few guys that have come to mind for us who would be on we believe would be on Tyree's short list. But we don't need to get into that because we think McDonald's in here for the long haul. So there's no need to get into that. But anyways, this has been another episode of the third and central podcast. It's it's going to be a long off season. It's going to be a long time until fall ball. We're going to have a few episodes planned for the off season. Not, not a whole bunch because there's, there's not a lot going on. Obviously we're going to have an episode for the major league draft, kind of a preview of that. We're going to have an episode after, after that kind of capping things off there talking about summer ball. And then once fall ball gets here, we're going to have a, uh, a team preview on that, of course. And we're going to try and get some more guests on. I know we had some some pretty high-profile guests in the first few episodes of uh, this podcast in here. We had Coach Mack on, Nick Bennett, Jake Snyder, Zach Britton. And we want to continue that. We want to give you guys some some good things to listen to over the offseason while you continuously count down the days until baseball comes back. So that's what we're going to do. That's what we have on the horizon. But until then, this is Matt McGavick, joined by Matt Sikovic. And in the immortal words of Sean Moth, we'll see you at the ballpark.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.